Well, hello again. How are you liking the story so far? Today I have chapter 6, as promised, titled Dem Boys. Remember to give this a like and follow or subscribe, whatever you need to do to get the rest of these chapters. Now let's just jump right in and get on with the story. I am LT Bartek. Chapter 6 Dem Boys The boys walked for about four hours down the river that morning, occasionally stopping to jump rocks, splashing about in the water, skip stones across wider sections, just having a good time. Then they saw an alcove in the rock facing and decided to stay there for the night. See, Arthur, this is not as nice as the one we left Dan pouted. But it will do. Or do you want us to keep walking? No, my feet hurt. We can stay here tonight. Maybe we can find somewhere nicer tomorrow. But I want to stay here in this spot. We have lots and lots of trees to keep us safe, and we have the water to drink and swim in. Yes, that is true. But we can't stay here too long, Dan. But I want to stay, Arthur. I am tired of walking. I just want us to stay here for even a month. Please, Arthur. Dan's voice broke then, and hot tears rolled down his cheek as he looked with tear-filled eyes at Arthur. Arthur looked at his sad, childish face, and he had to give this one to Dan. But a cold feeling of dread started creeping up his spine, and he knew he was caught between a rock and a hard place. He was starting to love this little bugger. He had not had a companion for a very long time, and he didn't want to lose him. Not that Dan could survive long out here. Without him, Dan would be caught within the first day and sent back to the home for boys. He liked his companionship. Dan was simple and easy to manipulate. His innocence, lack of proper education, and very little TV or books were good for Arthur. Dan didn't ask troubling questions or pry, and because of that, he didn't have to try and fabricate a lot of lies. So, he gave in. Arthur walked over to Dan, who was by now gasping for breath, in tears. He had tried to wipe his eyes with the back of his hand, but in doing so, his hand had caught the snot running out of his nose and plastered it upside his face. Arthur took out his handkerchief and wiped his face clean. It's okay, Danny boy. We will stay here for as long as you like. I will get us food and try to find a more protective spot to stay. Is that okay, Danny? Arthur asked, trying to sound like his own mother. Dan stopped crying and hugged Arthur, not trusting himself to speak through the hiccups that kept going. Then still clutching Arthur, he whispered in Arthur's ear. Thanks, Arthur. You're my best friend. He pulled in the rest of the snot back into his nose, straightened then turned away from Arthur. He felt embarrassed that he was acting like a baby. So, he got busy laying out his sleeping bag to sit on. Are you going to be okay for a bit, Danny boy? I sense you might get hungry really soon. I can get us some food now if you are okay. Yeah, I'll be fine. But can you start the fire for me, please? I am still such a klutz when it comes to making a fire. No problem, laddie Arthur said in his thick British accent. Then turned and started picking up branches to make the fire. Arthur sensed that trouble was brewing, but it had been a long time since he was at a loss as to what to do. He walked around for a bit, picking up sticks, and then took them over to make a fire for Dan. He cleared away the dried leaves, not trying to cause a forest fire here, he thought. Then using some rocks he picked up from the riverbank, he made a circle and laid the sticks in the middle. Soon, it was a nice roaring fire. He sometimes forgets that it still gets a little cold here in the mountains at night. Well for Dan, 
The day was not so bad, but at night it would drop down to sometimes 40 and 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Dan needed the fire, and tonight they had a good one. Having set up the fire and making sure Dan was okay, Arthur set off to find food. His heightened sense of smell led him westward to a small cottage close to the river. He found an old, wooded cabin and stopped to look at and into the building. There were three men sitting at the old table eating something they had just killed. They were hunters. Arthur was not hungry. He had gotten his fill the night before. That tasty morsel would last him until next week. But Dan was not like him. He needed to be fed daily. Arthur didn't mind hunting for food. He had been doing this for a very long time. However, the hunt for Dan's food was different from his. Hunting alone gave him time to look around the area and pick out the spots for his food for when the time came. It also gave him something to do other than being a companion to Dan. Being away from him gave him a chance to be himself. He could be who he truly was without Dan seeing that he was not just Arthur. Arthur stayed out of sight, just within the line of trees, watching the men move about their cabin. The men were eating deer meat. It was deer hunting season, and they had lots of it, but Arthur could smell the spices of the cooked meat and the blood of the raw, both on the table and in the freezer. He continued to sit in the shadows of the tall pine trees waiting for a break to get the food for Dan. It was getting late. The men had finished eating and were now sitting around the table talking. He knew Dan was going to start wondering where he was. He needed to get what he came for and head back. In the dark of the trees, he devised a plan. He began banging on the trees and growling to get their attention. The moment they were at the front door looking out, he ran unseen to the back of the cabin, unlocked the door, and jumped inside. He snatched some of the leftovers and was out the door before they knew what was happening. In a flash, he was back at Dan, who was by now curled up in a fetal position by the fire, rocking himself for comfort. The moment he saw Arthur, he sprang to his feet and started jumping up and down, laughing. You're back. You're back. What did you get me, Arthur? Sure. Smells good. It's some part of a deer. I got you some cuts and potatoes. I think I got some beans for you, too. Yuck. Beans. I don't like beans, Arthur, Dan said, wrinkling his nose. I know, but it is good for you. So, I expect to see it gone. Nah, Dan said, shaking his head from side to side. I am not mucking about Dan. You need proper nutrients. So, eat every last morsel. The sternness in Arthur's voice told Dan that he was serious, and not wanting to make a fuss and upset Arthur, he said, Okay, Arthur, but I won't like it. You are such a bully sometimes, Dan said, pouting and dropping back to the ground, putting the plate of food in his lap and eating with his fingers. Only when I need to be. Now bon appetit. Bona, what? Dan asked, confused. Looking up at Arthur, mid-licking his fingers. Never mind. Eat, Arthur said, stoking the fire. As he looked into the flames, they danced in his eyes as if it was being reflected on glass, making his eyes shine as if they were the actual flames. He reflected on how he came to be like this. It was the year 1940. He was a child of the polio epidemic and was days away from dying. His parents were wealthy and knew influential people. They were high society and had many fancy balls at their country palace. Though the Battle of England was raging, with Britain showing the Nazis that it couldn't overpower the British military or its people and take Britain, and Arthur's family was not affected by it at all. Their stature had kept them away from the war, and his childhood was not marred by it. At one of their elite balls, 
They had met this particular man. He was strange. But there was something about him that one could not put a finger on. He looked ageless and was extremely classy and well-dressed. An aristocrat if there ever was one. They had heard talk of him being a healer. So, when little Arthur had fallen sick, they had first sought a medical doctor's help. But when the medical doctor had given up on him, they wasted no time and immediately sought the help of this strange, beautiful healer. He was out of the country at the time, but they pleaded with him to come and save their only child, offering hundreds of pounds, which was a lot back then. He decided to do it and returned just in the nick of time. Actually, only hours before Arthur would have taken his last breath. Upon reaching, he pulled the parents aside and explained to them that his treatment would change the child forever. He was not the typical doctor, and if he treated Arthur, he would never be the same again. There was also going to be a big change to his diet, which they must always adhere to. They brushed all his concern aside, promising to do whatever it took. They only needed him to save their child. So, he went into Arthur's room and asked the parents to stay outside, because what he was about to do was unorthodox. He told them not to come into the room under any circumstances, no matter what they heard, or the treatment would not work. They agreed, and he went in and locked the door behind him. After a few minutes, they heard what sounded like growling, but not. It was unlike anything they had ever heard before. It sounded like an animal, but none that lived in the area, and they didn't see him having an animal when he went in. They wondered about this tactic, but they had no other choice but to trust him. They were told he was good. So, they stayed outside their child's room and waited for him to cure Arthur. Moments later, they heard their little boy screaming as if he was in excruciating pain. It lasted for a few minutes, but his parents steeled themselves not to go in even though their hearts felt as if they were being ripped from their own chests. After a few more minutes, they saw the door slowly open, and the gentleman came out and closed the door behind him. He told them again not to enter the room under any circumstances and that they should let the child rest. He told them the child was healed, and that he would wait with Arthur until the morning to ensure all was well with the treatment. What happened to Arthur was the most horrific and excruciating thing his little eight-year-old body had ever gone through. After the treatment was administered by the gentleman, he was writhing in pain all night, and well into the morning. The gentleman stayed by his side, mopping the sweat from his brow and feeding him warm liquid. In Arthur's delirium, he thought the liquid was being fed to him from the man's wrist, but he could not be sure. He dreamt the most vivid dreams of long-ago people and drinking blood from a chalice. He dreamt of hunting and running with cheetahs, lions, and tigers. It did not make any sense to him then, but later it would. These were the memories of the person who saved him and of the ones who were before. As the morning broke, he started to hear the sounds of things happening around him. So loud they echoed inside his head, as if they were amplified right beside his ears. The pain from all the loud banging and the smell of everything was so powerful that he kept his eyes tightly shut. Whenever it got so bad that his eyelids would flutter open, he saw the room as if it was floating in a rainbow of colors. The brightness of it would hurt his eyes, and he would have to snap them shut again. The hours passed, and the noise and smell became more manageable as he drank the warm liquid the stranger gave him. Soon he started feeling better and got stronger. All his senses, though heightened, were now manageable, and he felt amazing. The gentleman stayed by his side, gently cooing to him, keeping him warm, and gently wiping the perspiration from his delicate face. He told him everything would be okay, and to accept what was happening to him. 
He told him not to fight it but to embrace all the developing new feelings and heightened senses. As an eight-year-old child, this advice made no sense to him, but as the hours passed, he slowly understood what he needed to do, and when he finally embraced the change, he became a new and powerful being. The flashes of memories were a roadmap to how to live and feed, and survive in a world full of people who were no longer like him. By the morning, the sickness had left him, but he felt weak and ravenous. The gentleman told the kitchen to bring him raw meat, and though he thought he would not be able to eat it, the moment his nostril got a whiff of the juicy meat, he grabbed it as if he had never eaten a morsel in his life. In three bites, the meat was gone. By noon that day, he was on his feet and ready to welcome his parents. The moment they saw his face, they stopped in their tracks, transfixed. Although he was already a handsome lad, what they saw looking back at them was a porcelain version of their baby boy. He was so radiant that it looked like the sun was shining below his skin. He was beautiful. Arthur was brought back to the present when he saw Dan move. He had finished eating and was drinking from his water bottle. He used some to wash the grease from his fingers and then hugged Arthur, signaling that he was heading to bed. Go night, Arthur. Thanks for a tasty meal. You are welcome, dear boy, he said, hugging him back. Dan went to sleep, and Arthur stayed up, like he always does. Still looking into the flames as they danced in his eyes, Now that we have come to the end of that, remember to love yourself and others, and I will catch up with you tomorrow for the next episode titled The Hunters. Love you. Bye.